Okay, are we ready to start? All right. Am I on? Yeah, okay. Well, if I'm on, then that means it's time, right? <laughs> Shall we start with a word of prayer? Dear gracious Lord in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together, and we ask, Lord, that this may uh, be an uh, enlightening experience and that we may learn and, and know how to serve you better. In thy name we pray, amen. So the uh, catechism is divided into 52 weeks, but we don't have 52 weeks, so, and most of you have had uh, uh, the catechism before, so I always try to put a little bit of a different twist maybe on it and that type of thing. But I thought we would uh, try to get through man's misery today. If you want to follow along, it's in the Psalter hymn on the back on page 9, and we will be reading through questions 3 through 11. <clears throat> and it's titled Man's Misery. So this isn't going to have the happiest ending as we had last week, so, but it's still there. Uh, question three, how do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. Question four, what does that, God, what does that law, God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Question five, how do you live up to the, can you live up to this, <clears throat> all this perfectly? No, you have a naturally, natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. Question six, did God create man so wicked and perverse? No, God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God, his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with him in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Question seven, then where, where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and the disobedience of our first parents, parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners, corrupt from the concept on, conception on. Question eight, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to do all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Question nine, but doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man is unable to do? No, God created with the ability to keep the law. Man, however, tempted by the devil in reckless disobedience, robed himself in his descendants of these gifts. Robbed himself and his descendants of these gifts, sorry. Question 10, will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry about the sin we are born with as well as the sin we personally commit. And as a judge, just judge, he punishes them now and in eternity. He has declared, curse be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. And 11, but isn't God also merciful? 
God certainly is merciful, but he is also just. And his justice demands that sin committed against the supreme majesty be punished with supreme penalty, eternal punishment of the body and the soul. So we'll start with God's law. And it's God's law that we all try to kind of somewhat escape from, right? And I don't know about you, but every time I go and I have like errands to run and my mind goes, what am I going to do next? How am I going to do it? If I go to the grocery store first, I can get in line maybe faster than I can at Menards and what do I have next and blah, 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 right? And so you're at the grocery store and you're standing in line and the line looks like it's 15, 20 minutes long, of course. And you're standing there and you're thinking, well, while I'm at Menards, I should also pick up a new bit for my drill gun and all of a sudden the person in front of you sneezes, right? And then 10 people turn around spraying with Lysol nowadays, right? And you say God, something like, God bless you. And you keep thinking, and I got to pick up, an, and then all of a sudden that person says, well, I don't believe in God. So your mind stops and goes, whoop. Here's an opportunity for me to witness to this person. This is my chance. And now you're kind of off guard, but you say something to the effect of, um, I'm a believer in God, why don't you believe in God? Right? And they tell you something like, well, God's law also says that in Leviticus uh, 19, Sorry, I thought I had that ready. Oh, I do. Leviticus 19.27, it says, You shall not round off the hair around your temples or mar the edges of your beard. And I don't see Christians doing that anymore. But they keep telling, telling me that uh, uh, being a homosexual is a sin. Right? And that kind of can throw you off guard. And you want to answer now, because this is your chance, and you want to answer like, like Christ would, right? And if we look at the answer to um, question four, what is that? That's Christ's response to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were trying to stumble him on the law, right? They asked him, what law is the best law? What did God say? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So you say something like, Okay, well, that's because that's an old law or a Levitical law, and they'll say, yeah, right, so it's homosexuality. Or maybe you give them the answer that Jesus said, love God and love your heart. Well, I'm trying to love somebody else, you're telling me that it's wrong. So opportunities like that come up, and sometimes it's hard to respond to it. But more often than not, when you're doing a witness situation, it always comes back down to God's law, doesn't it? If everybody was to be able to be a Christian, live how they want it, and got get eternal life, we'd probably be all Christians. The whole world would be Christians, right? If it was that easy. It's always God's law that 
that stops people. And a lot of times you'll find uh, infant Christians or wannabe Christians that picture God as being this fat guy in a red suit with a beard. And if you pull his beard and kick him in the shins, he'll just say, ho, 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 and still give you a gift, right? That's how they want to look at it because that's the way it goes. Now, I made that story up about the grocery store, but I do have a true story, and it's uh, about a guy that I worked with in a factory. Actually, there was a, a couple there that were married, and he was welding with me at first, and she worked in the factory as well, and they hung out together all the time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he signed to a different department, so I didn't see him for a while. But then I heard that uh, she got a, a breast enhancement, and the next thing you know, they're divorced. And a guy from a different welding department uh, dumped his girlfriend, and they got together. Well, that happened for a while, and then that guy that is with her now got transferred into my department. And I was kind of known as a, a Christian person, not because I was on a soapbox every break time going, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, just by normal conversations and, and my attitude towards things, people pick up on that. And this guy uh, stands about six foot five. He's very large, and he's known for putting people in the hospital. So not a lot of people told him what was right and what was wrong. He pretty much did what he wanted when he wanted to. So when he came into my department, he had been with this gal for a while. They were, of course, living together. And she had custody of the kids. So he would complain to me about how her kids acted. And I said, well, maybe they just wanted their mom and dad back. And, of course, that didn't go well with him. And he said, well, they're going to break up anyway. And I said, that could be. But you were the one there to catch the ball, weren't you? And ever since I did that, he kind of held a grudge against me for doing that. And one day, when I was, of course, thinking about the next thing that I was going to set up and put on a job and, and that type of thing, and then he says to me, he says, what makes your Bible better than the other Bibles? And he caught me so off guard that I, I stumbled for an answer. Because I grew up in this community, and nobody questioned that. But that was, his, that was his way of eliminating the law. If I can eliminate the Bible, I have eliminated the law. And what that did to me is made me feel like a failure, number one. It made me want to feel to go back into my piety of, they're not going to understand anyway, I'll just take care of myself, right? So the devil wins on that. So the, the, the law really is our direction. And if we go to question five, 
I'm going to skip around a little bit. We find that even Paul had a hard time keeping the law. And I don't know if you want to follow along with me. I'm going to do quite a bit in Romans. But we see that in Romans 7, 15, and 16, right? For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do, for I do not do what I want, but I do everything that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with a law that is good. So how is a guy like Paul, who actually was taught first-handed by Christ, and uh, again, he can't keep the law, how can we? And we can't. But then we read in Corinthians 10, verse 13, And there it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So isn't that kind of a conflict? He's telling us that we we can't deny sin, but now we're saying that we can get out of those temptations. And I'm going to open this question to the floor. What are your thoughts on that? Should we be able to resist every temptation? But yet the Bible also tells us that we are going to be sinful people. Or is it the fact that we don't take that temptation? <laughs> <laughs> the storms that he sends upon us? Yeah. The... Right? So it's how we weather those storms, though, right? It's how we weather those storms. But does that mean that we can't be perfect? If, if we can, but we, it says in Corinthians that we're able to escape that if we make the right choice. Yeah. By forgiveness, but I'm talking about as you're going into a sin, Right? Paul says, I, I, I do what I don't want to do. But then later on he says, God allows me to get out of that temptation. So is it possible for us to get out of every sin? Sure.
Right. 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 And we have a natural tendency to hate God. So we're not always in God. So although he gives us that escape, we are also in the same temptations that he has given us in the past and will be in the future, correct? So go ahead, Andy. And that's the knowledge of the law, correct? Right? What you're saying is you keep learning the law by your, by your, uh, by your sin and by your mistakes. And that's, that's the, the, the glory of the law, if you will. Well, that's, that's the answer that I hate God and my neighbor. It is. Bob? Well, if our spirit's in the, in to God, we are going to gravitate to take the out instead of the temptation, right? Is that what you're saying? Good. So question six, or question five, I'm sorry. No, I think it kind of, uh, that's what we just got done with. Sorry about that. So the, the second part of five, though, I just, we, we kind of touched on that a little bit. That's our misery, isn't it? That we have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor. And that's just, that just floors me every time I read that. Like mom was saying, is that word hate just rings a bell in that. So God didn't make us sinful, right? Uh, Genesis one uh, twenty-seven says we were made in God's image. So God, of course, was made, is perfect. So we were made perfect, right? And Adam and Eve um, lived, we don't even know how long they lived in that sinless environment because really time didn't start until they started, until the fall of man, Right?
So then we go to the fall. Let's see, we'll go right there. And all things, all bets were off, right? All things ended. In Genesis 3.22, right, that Genesis 3 is where it explains the fall man. And then the Lord said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So if we know right from wrong, why do we need the law? Do we deep down know what is right and wrong? Do I know that if I steal something from somebody, that's probably not right? And up to, what do you think? That's open to the floor. Shouldn't we be able to, knowing the knowledge of right and wrong, be able to please God without laws? Bob? But it says right here, after they ate and they, and they fell from the tree, man now knows good and evil. So, but don't they know, if you know right from wrong, don't you know where, what would be? So on the on the press uh, on the on the outlook of the person himself, 
on the outlook of the person himself. So what I see as good and evil and what you see as good as evil could be two different things. So not necessarily that man has gained knowledge of good and evil, but knows of evil also. Well, if that's your sin and you can justify it in a different way, you're going to, right? If you have a law out there that says, no, this is the way it's going to be, and that's, that's what we're, we're trying to get to with the law, is that that's, that's what we, we have the law for. Uh, and I look over to uh, Genesis 6-5. Now, this is pre-law days. So, this is before the laws are out there. They knew good from evil, or supposedly, but let's see. The Lord has saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention and thought of his heart only was evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and grieved him into his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man and I have, that I have created from the face of the land, man, animals, creepy things, birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. Sounds like Santa Claus has taken off the gloves, right? So, do we need the law? 
And we do need the law. Because pre-law days were even worse than what we are at now, right? Any other comments on that? Otherwise we'll... Right? So uh, And that's that's what that's that's what my coworker was trying to do by eliminating the Bible, right? If we eliminate the law, then we don't have the law there. Um, so the only way we uh, the only way we can have any inclination of of trying to be uh, righteous through the law, is to be born again. And we see that in John 3, 3 through 6. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So being born again in the Spirit. How does that happen? Does it just come to us? What must we do to be born again? God calls us, right? And we answer the call and we ask the Holy Spirit to be within us. But we got to have that call first, right? If we have a natural tendency to hate him, there's got to be something else coming in in order for us to love him and try to and, and want to love him and want the spirit to live in us. Right, nobody else. Right. 
It has to be God-inspired, right? A uh, little verse that I found that kind of goes with this too is Romans 8, uh, 5 through 17. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on flesh is death, but to see the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For that mind is on the set of flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. These are, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. If in the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies as the Spirit who dwells in you. So it brings the spirit that comes into us, but because we're in the law and we know our right from wrong, and we can uh, hone our talents by that. Okay, question eight. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined towards all evil? Oh, that's the one we just did. I'm sorry. I was in the wrong one here. Okay. So I thought question nine was kind of tied into what we were talking about on question seven as far as being um, uh, corrupt and uh, being able to uh, just uh, to resist temptations and that type of thing. Um, so question 10. Will God permit such disobedient to go unpunished? And I'll open that one up to the floor. Why does somebody have to pay? What's that? Wouldn't be justice, but why would we need justice? Isn't God big enough that he could just forgive us for whatever? Why does something have to be made back up? The rules he set. So part of his law. So more of an authoritative, I'm demanding this. this, this is the shovel, this is the price you pay, type of thing.
I agree with that. I think too, though, is he made everything perfect, right? I think it's Genesis um, where he says, Genesis 1, right? Where he says, and, and God looked at all that he had made and it was very good. It was perfection. It was perfect. So when you have an imperfection, I think it demands a rehabilitation to get back to purpose. Perfect. And I think that's, that's how I look at it in a way is that when we sin, we have defined God of his perfectness, of what he expects from us. So a punishment has to be made. I got Romans 1, verse 18 for that as well. I'll read that quick. I think we're... For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So by not paying for that, we're also suppressing what is true. Also, we are, by not paying the debt, we aren't learning either, are we? If God forgave us everything without our redemption, where would our, where would our, um, where would our confession be? Where would our, uh, you know, if, if I got away with doing something every time, I'd feel less inclined to say I'm sorry for that, right? But if I demanded to have be punished and be righteous for it, I now learn from that. And that's the whole premise behind the law. And I think that's what, that's where... Right. If you take two kids in the same family, what you're saying is you take two kids in the same family and you discipline the one one way and you don't discipline the other one, you're going to have a brat and probably somebody that's obedient, correct? Is that what you're trying to say? And that the, if you're going to have a brat and you're going to have somebody that's probably obedient because your punishments weren't the same for one to the other. Yeah. That doesn't always work either, though. I'm not saying that that doesn't always work. Uh, one last thought here is um, both, both Paul in Romans 7.22 and King David in Psalm 1 verse 2 delights in the law. And since we're in Romans right there, we'll just... For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So Paul finds that the law is a way to know and serve God and keep himself in line with, with his relationship to God, right? So, um, oh, one other thing. Matthew Henry says that the shaving of the hair and the beard that I quoted in Leviticus, they did that to make a certain shape 
that imitated their God. So, if somebody would have came up to me and asked me that two weeks ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? Okay, let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time, but we thank you, Lord, for your law. We thank you for that direction. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to know ourselves because of your law, and we thank you, Lord, that uh, you set it out for us. Bring the Spirit into us that we may um, be able to uh, strive to get closer to you and better at resisting the temptations that set before us. In thy name we pray.